we're discussing the buying and selling of attention. From the Haunted Attraction Network, I'm Philip, and this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Green Tagged covers the top theme park news from each week. In this episode, we dive into SeaWorld offering to buy Cedar Fair and an interview that Bob Iger gave with the New York Times. As always, for our haunt specific programming, check back tomorrow and sign up for our free weekly industry newsletter at the link in our show notes. Enjoy the show. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, Florida, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. Hello, hello. Another great week. Another great week in the world of theme park, or at least an interesting week in the world of theme park. Let's put it that way. Interesting indeed. And of course, the biggest news, and shout out, thank you to those who sent it over, (laughs) multiple people who sent this, listeners over. Uh, We always love hearing from listeners and getting feedback on it. And of course, we knew we had to talk about this. SeaWorld offered to acquire Cedar Fair. Dun, dun, dun. So, right, I will read a little excerpt here from In Park Magazine. This is by Joe Kleiman. Uh, Today, Cedar Fair Entertainment Company announced that it has received an unsolicited, non-binding proposal from SeaWorld Entertainment to acquire the theme park operator. Although Cedar Fair did not disclose the details of the offer, Ed Hammond, citing unnamed sources in a report for Bloomberg, listed it at at $60 per unit in cash, or $3.4 billion. And then it goes into talking about which parks they, they currently own, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, this marks the second attempt made by Scott Ross, SeaWorld's largest shareholder and current chairman to acquire Cedar Fair. Prior to this current investment offer in SeaWorld, while Ross was an asset manager for Apollo Global Management, he was part of a team that solicited a $635 million takeover bid for the Ohio-based theme park opera in 2009. But that, of course, did not happen. So, uh, you know, Scott, what do you think about this? <laughs> um, so... Anybody, anybody who has been in the theme park industry for any length of time knows that there's always going to be somebody who claims that they want to buy somebody else. Um, this is this is just this has just gone on forever and forever and forever. And there's so many different reasons why it happens. Um, there are so many different reasons why people think that it's going to be important. Um, let's kind of put things into perspective right off the bat here. Um, let's start by saying unsolicited non-binding. This is <laughs> like me saying, I'm going to, I'm going to buy the, um, I'm going to buy the, the, the Willis Tower in Chicago for uh, $286 trillion. Unsolicited non-binding. I said it because I wanted to get attention. I said it because I wanted to look like a big fish. I said it because I wanted to make the people that I'm working with think, well, wow, he's going to buy the tallest building in the world or in the United States. So, again, perhaps there is some interest there. I don't know. I wasn't sitting in the in the SeaWorld um, offices the morning that it was made. But this kind of thing happens all the time. There are offers made for theme parks and theme park chains constantly. Um, back when I was actually working for a specific park, when I was working for, for Bush Gardens, part of the, the, the SEA parks, as a matter of fact, again, completely different company, so I have no insider information whatsoever. Um, but we were purchased and sold, and there were always, I mean, every year there was a new who's going to buy the park. And, uh, you know, it was back in the day, it was, it was who's going to buy the parks and separate them. So that mm. Orlando is different from 
uh, from Tampa, sorry, Orlando is different from Tampa or, you know, whatever. So those kinds of things happened all the time. And all that had to really happen, you know, there didn't even have to be an offer made. Somebody from the, the, somebody from Dubai would, would fly in and look at a park and everybody would think, oh my gosh, we're up for sale. <laughs> Again, this is very commonplace. This is very commonplace. And so commonplace as a matter of fact, that in this, for, in this particular scenario of somebody offering um, to purchase seat, making an offer to purchase Cedar Fair happened just a few years ago, 2019. Some of you may remember Six Flags made an offer to purchase the, the Cedar Fair parks. And that one was for $4 billion or $70 per share. And, um, that was turned away. There was no, there was no interest there. So again, I don't, think anybody needs to be sweating right now. Um, you know, and I don't think anybody needs to be going, oh my gosh, how is this happening? Because to be honest, it's not yet. Um, and it's quite possible that if, you know, say magically Cedar Fair says, sure, yeah, we'll sell it to you. Say, say sure that it goes through. Well then SeaWorld, because it is non-binding, SeaWorld has to then find the funds to make it happen. Um, I don't know where they have them or not. Again, I have no insider information. I guess my point is not that SeaWorld is doing anything shady or Cedar Fair is doing. I, my point being, this happens all the time. Yeah. So it's not that uncommon. It is not new news. You know, it's not like, I mean, this particular one is new, but this stuff, if, you, if you've been in the industry long enough, you've seen this happen over and over and over again. And the majority of the time, nothing comes of it. Yeah. So if this is, we'll keep an eye on it, obviously, and we'll and we'll see if this does indeed uh, break that mold. I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I it just kind of looks like either I want to be in the news, um, or I want to put on a good face for stockholders, or um, you know, it, one of the one of the things that we talked about just before the show, and I think we'll get into it a little bit later, is in order to be successful, you have to be uh, noticed. You have to be yeah. in the news. And I think this is a great opportunity to put SeaWorld Parks Entertainment back in the news. And this is is quite in line with so much of what they've been doing recently. They've yeah. been opening and, well, first off, opening things that have been installed pre-pandemic. And they're just, they're continuing to move forward. So it's like, oh, something new, something new, something new. And continuing to announce new expansions, which is great. I'm so glad. I think that's actually really smart to do right now because yeah. the, the audiences are coming back and they're coming back in large numbers. So this is the perfect time to say yes, and we're there for you. And we've got all this great new stuff. Um, and it, I, this might be a really smart business move to say, and we're doing so well that we're even going to offer to buy our competitors out. You know, yes. uh, again, I don't know. I, I just don't think that this is one of those things where it's, it, it's very, it sounds very newsworthy, but I'm not really sure that it is. Um, and it is something that happens all the time. Yeah, you make some excellent points there. And I think the takeaway from this is more of what it signals about the larger trends happening and the why behind it. You know, obviously, as you said, it's not really news. So why are they doing it? And I agree with you with the, it's kind of a flexing for perception, you know, because so much of of the value of public of these public companies is tied into the stock. And a lot of that ultimately comes down to perception. It's very similar to like the, the inflation argument where it's like, um, all you have to do to create inflation is to 
think about inflation, like you, you think about, you manifest it just mm-hmm. because of how the markets work. Mm-hmm. It's very similar with stock, kind of the concept of perception dictates a lot of the value of 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 these companies, and 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 that directly relates to how much they can raise in debt to for new renovations or to expand or to to capture other companies or, or whatever. So I I kind of think that you're right in terms of if we look at the dominoes, it's like. They had all these announcements, all these new openings. And if you compare that, right, like the earnings for Disney Universal have been astronomical. The earnings have not been as much for SeaWorld. So like they're in lieu of that. They're like, well, look at all these new openings. And also we're going to flex and show that we can buy somebody, which means we must have money. <laughs> you know, kind of like, well, you know. <laughs> and in fairness, uh, you know, from what I've seen, SEA is coming back and they're coming back strong, not to the level of Universal and Disney. I agree. But but they still, I, I still think it's it's important to, as you say, create that perception. And you know, we've always lived in a world where where perception is reality. It's just never been this obvious before. And yeah. uh, and I and I think that you know we are continuing to to work in that environment. And I think this quite possibly. And again, no insider information. I am not a business expert. I will say that right up front. But from my perspective, this this doesn't seem doesn't ring to me as though this is something we really think is going to happen and go through i don't know i i also don't think that if if we play in 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 like the worlds of like what if and if acquisition and whatnot i would say it doesn't even matter they're too small for it to even make a difference and i i guess the the bigger trend here that i wanted to point towards is more like the attention economy, just the the trend overall of of where people are positioning themselves for like the, the next phase of the attention war, which apparently a lot of people thought was going to be the metaverse. Uh, but will it? You know. <laughs> and speaking kind of of attention, a related story here was that uh, Meta's market value dropped by two hundred billion <laughs> um, as the Facebook user base declines. Investors wiped out more than $200 billion of the market value of Facebook owner Meta after the company warned of weaker advertising growth and reported its first ever decline in daily users. And just as a reminder as well, you know, they acquired Reality Labs last year for $10 billion and acknowledged that the, the, the future of that is uncertain. So basically, they're like, well, we lost $10 billion just last year for this Reality Labs, which is like an investment into this. And you know, we just talked about how they're kind of we talked last week about the acquisition of Blizzard for seventy billion, and then now this week we're looking at uh, Facebook trying to pivot. Basically, Facebook is like we're they know that they've kind of reached a saturation, and that's why the, the growth is slowing down, and they're in all this bad press, which means again user perception, right? Bad press, user perception, less users. So it's making so the perception of the company is making the stockholders anxious on this Mac holder level. And you know, Zuckerberg is like, well the meta 3.0 is where it is. And but now Microsoft is like, we're also going to meta. So they're putting in 70 billion of investment and it's making, you know, the stockholders cagey and at a company that size, caginess equates to two hundred billion, and this is like four billion. And it's just—it's not. Um, it, I, you know, I. <laughs> the attention is real, you know, and the perception of the company is real for for stock public companies like this. Uh, but also, I don't think it even matters. Say they did all combine and everything, it wouldn't matter. You know, it wouldn't matter. Um, they're not large enough to really to be able to compete in the attention economy. 
uh, where, where, you know, where, where it's going. Uh, and a few other, I don't know, maybe like things to drop out is Apple. Meanwhile, meanwhile, speaking of giant companies and shifting worlds over here, Apple has 206 billion in cash, just kind of hanging out, you know, 206 of which almost six of it is, is a, is a recent phenomenon almost over just one year. So like they could take a year's worth of, you know, pocket change and, purchase SeaWorld with extra, with extra to spare. Sure. So let me, let me, let me ask this question then. Cause, cause I agree. I, I, I agree that they have, you know, Apple could buy and sell SeaWorld and Cedar Fair, you know, if they just wanted to on a whim. Um, and when you say it doesn't matter, but you have to also recognize that this is an economy of scale. I mean, the amount that you can earn off of the theme parks, even in both, um, SEA and, uh, and Cedar Fair is significantly less than Apple can earn. So you know the the theme parks are are significantly are significantly uh, smaller in the grand scheme of things. And so I, I think that it's important for that mi that microcosm in the world of you know gazillionaires. Um, I, but I, I think it's important to recognize that the the three point four billion. When it when it comes to Apple, is chump change, but when it comes to SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment or it comes to Cedar Fair, it's a reasonable number. I, I think you're right in that it's a reasonable number. You know, in the context of just theme, I guess our world, right? Theme entertainment world. Mm -hmm. But I guess I would argue that this is more about the future, which is the attention of people. You know, that, that is going to be the commodity that we can't really create more of because, you know, right now humans are not <laughs> infinite. You know, we have, we, 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 we're born and we die. We have a limited time, which means we have a limited amount of attention. You know, you can't replicate attention. So the attention is, is, is the real thing that's going to become the, the, the next economic lever is people's attention. It's the attention economy. And that's why I would argue that these these two things are going to intersect because what are all of us great at in theme entertainment? We're great at capturing attention by using engaging stories. That's, that's what we do. And attention is going to become so much more valuable. And that's essentially what the whole problem is with Facebook is they're losing attention and they're losing users. They're losing the, the public doesn't want to give their attention to Facebook. They're losing all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, it's less about, those numbers are more about where we're going. We're going to the attention economy. And that's the bet on the metaverse. The bet is that that will be a new way to engage people for so much more of the time. You mentioned it so many times previously about Disney's concept of we want your, when you're with us, we want the entire thing to be Disney. And that's essentially like we talked about in the previous episode about the metaverse, exactly what we're, what they're looking at is saying, this could be a whole new way of getting people's attention for an entire day you know now they have those pesky things called like lives where they have to like walk around and they like they're not using our phones for 24 hours a day uh you know but if they were in the metaverse they could be you know they could be well but the difference the difference is you know what what disney does eat sleep drink disney um it, what they do is they engage people in different ways again multi-level they they don't tie them all back to their phones. They don't tie them all back to the digital world. They tie them to, they utilize realistic 
um, restaurant scenarios. They tie people to movies. They tie people to yeah. products. They tie people to um, in-person experiences. They tie people to, you know, two days in galactic prison for a gazillion dollars. Well, you know, and that's, yes, that's exactly the point is that like, there's only, that is why, you know, you're seeing these large companies kind of peter out and, and reach a ceiling because there's a, there's a ceiling in terms of how many people you can get engaged on your like Facebook app or on your phone every day. So you need a different way. And who's great at making other ways? The entertainment. We are. You just said it. That's that's why these are intersecting. That, that's great. Then then because it's chump change, you know, we've established that this is chump change to some of these big companies. Um, and you've you're, you're you're claiming that it is so essential. Why aren't they buying parks? So interesting. Um, I think this is a perfect segue. Um, it's almost like we planned it, uh, or Scott planned it. It's a perfect segue into uh, the next kind of story, which is that uh, Bob Iger gave an exit interview to the New York Times. Uh, I, so uh, I put the link in the show notes, and I think that everyone should listen to it. It is a phenomenal interview. There's so much information in there. It's like 45 minutes. Um, there were three main areas that I kind of notated as I, I thought were important. And the first is, I think, exactly to Scott's question. The first is basically is size matters. <laughs> Bob, Bob talked about their investment in IP is their hedge against big tech and against the concept of the metaverse. And he said, entertainment companies, to survive in an internet 3.0 world, you will need to have some really compelling intellectual property. He also said, I think that scale is an issue for a lot of traditional companies that were in the television and movie business. Um, so kind of scale meaning that same thing, meaning like Disney, basically he's like, he, he talks about some of his conversations with other people in the past and about his acquisition strategy and kind of lined up the dominoes by I, for the first time, at least that I've seen where he's painted the direct line between like the reason that there were all of these acquisitions and putting these properties together in a way that regulators would allow in a way that all this could actually happen is to create a big enough company that we could stand against those big tech basically coming into the same stream. And so that I don't know that that's his his take well, on it, right? I am excited to hear somebody of this of this level of this magnitude to say in in very complex or or sexy language that story is more important than technician than technical prowess, um, because that's really what he's saying. I mean, he's saying that that the IP, yeah. the stories that you the IP or the stories that are to be told are the way that they are hedging against tech um so again it's it sounds very familiar to me it's something that i've believed from the get-go uh and i know that i oversimplify things i know that i take things back to the simplest possible route but again core truths are always going to be core truths they're and they're they're they may swing you know left and right depending on what the 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 popular opinion is but He's saying what kind of what we've been saying all along, and that is that, you know, the, the the one constant for the entertainment industry is going to be good stories to tell, and um, a a medium through which to tell them, and perhaps that medium is not just film. Perhaps it's you know, um, film and streaming and and theme park and uh, podcast and you know a gazillion other. It, it's it's the it's the it's the platforms. 
But none of those mean anything without the good story to tell, without the IP. And when I say IP, that does not mean you have to buy Marvel. What that means is you have to have good stories to tell. Marvel has great stories to tell and people know them. So they're they're ready to, they want to hear them. They want to hear what's next in them. They're already invested. So that's why that's a, you know, a good deal. But, um, but I still, I still go back and I still ask the question, um, if, if big tech is really so concerned about finding new ways, like in-person ways to, uh, to, to tell their stories or to make some money because they don't care about telling stories. They want to make money, as do most businesses. Um, and I'm not sure they've made the leap yet. Um, then why aren't they spending chump change in their pockets to buy theme parks? I think that you're seeing the first vestiges of that, right? I think um, a a piece of the, the problem, uh, well, first of all, right, I'm not a... Uh, I put it like a Scott-esque disclaimer, right? We're not trillionaires. We're not like investment capitalists or whatever fancy titles. Um, we just talk about stuff. Um, but I think that our story last week was the first kind of trickle into that, right? The the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And as I mentioned way, way back a few... Do you remember when we talked about the Arcane experience and how great that was? Um, well, that can be traced directly up to Tencent. Tencent is... Facebook's it's a Facebook equivalent company. So you, you we're starting to see trickles of, of this kind of exploring the other ways. And the reason I think that we're seeing it as trickles is because it is hard to, to create content that you are responsible for. And I think that, that, that is the key, right? When you are just a platform, and th- this, this is, I don't want to get political, but this, this kind of bleeds into this whole, a larger, discussion that we've been having as a society, which is, you know, how much responsibility do you have when you are creating content? And what does it mean to be a curator versus a creator versus like an editor? You know, what's what's the onus? And so we see that this week with uh, Spotify, you know, of course, Spotify, um, Neil Young started it off, but he's wanted to remove his music due to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast being on Spotify and, and spreading misinformation, right? That is, I think, why there's hesitation to just jump right into it, right? Because Spotify pays Joe Rogan to produce his content. So in a way, they are creating this content that then people are having problems with. And I think that's that's it. It's not, you just don't flip a switch and say, we're now going to to create stories on this level where we we, you know, Facebook, we used to just be a curator, right? Facebook curates user-generated content. They don't create anything. That's been their argument this whole time, you know? And now suddenly if they were to jump right into it headfirst, like with the Arcane experience, you you could argue that Arcane is Tencent creating something. And so then that opens them up to the same argument of like, of, of how much responsibility do they have for that content that's being created? Well, and, you know, to, to your point, um, Joe Rogan, let's let's kind of make it really, really crystal clear. Joe Rogan is an employee of Spotify, whether that is a direct employee or as an outside contractor. Correct. Um, yes. He's being he employed is, by them. It's a hundred million dollar contract. Yeah. 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 He has a hundred million dollar contract to create content for yes. them. Exclusively and, for them. That's the other thing too. Yeah. It can't be used on like other platforms. That's why, right. you know. Yeah. So, so when you get people like Neil Young, and it's not just Neil Young anymore. Neil Young has just been the the 
the, was the tip of the the, the tip of the arrow. Um, and I I now hear that Yoko Ono has threatened that she will put her music on Spotify if Joe Rogan doesn't leave. So I think that's no, I'm kidding, completely kidding. But uh, yeah, fifty percent of our audience have no idea who Yoko Ono <laughs> is. And I would say maybe it's because she's on Spotify. I've never heard her music, but anyway, uh, and music is a loose term. But anyway, um, I, I think you have to recognize that if Spotify wanted to, they could say, "Okay, we're done. Bye, Joe." Yeah. Yeah. But instead, they're letting it happen. They're saying we're tempering him, and we're putting up these, and we're doing this, and we're doing that, because we're talking about it. They've captured our attention, like we were talking about earlier. In yeah. an attention world, it's those it's prodding the bear that makes attention. The news media does it all the time. News media, they don't they don't make any money when they go on and they say everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody cares. You know, we've yeah. even had comments on our show that there are certain listeners who love it when we argue, when we create controversy. <laughs> you know, the point is our show and I it's not that we're going to necessarily Philip and I are necessarily going to argue but I've always felt that the point of our show was to start other people talking. You know, whether they agree with us, don't agree with us, agree with one of us, don't agree with either of us, that's fine. We, I tie completely into that. And I utilize it not to, not to, to generate revenue because this show doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, what it does is it generates thought. It generates provoking thought. And that has always been my goal and that's the whole reason I do it. Because quite honestly, and I know the same is true with Philip, we both have very full lives outside of this show. And we carve out the time to do this because this is important to us. This kind of thought-provoking discussion is important to us. So we're not being hired by uh, a platform to produce content for them. So we can say pretty much whatever we want and we can share views, usually based on a great deal of research that Philip does the majority of, um, to, to be able to, to get people to start thinking. And I think that this is important, an important thing because you used a couple of phrases there, Philip, that I really think are important to, to clarify. You used the phrase investment capitalist. I want to make sure that people understand investment capitalist, capitalists don't give a rat's behind whether they're investing in theme park, communication, butter, yep. buttons, yep. armadillos. Yep. Their yep. job is to buy and sell so that they continue to make money. And they make money for themselves and for the people that they are basically controlling their money. Entertainment professionals have a completely different mindset. And yeah. what we're talking about here is the difference between Spotify and us. You know, we ain't going to make money. We're doing, we're doing this because this is the right thing to do. We are not investment capitalists, neither of neither Philip nor I, um, but we are entertainment professionals and we know how to create good entertainment. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't make money. I make money all the time because I'm an entertainment professional. That is what I do. But my focus is not, my focus is on creating a product. My focus yeah. is not on buying and selling the products of others. And that's yeah. the big difference. And that's the thing that we have to recognize. You know, I think the answer is simple. I think the reason that Apple doesn't take its chump change and buy both Cedar Fair and SeaWorld is because it's not in their best financial interest to do so. But it is in the in the theme park's best interest to continue to bring attention to themselves and perhaps even expand, you know, the number of parks they have. Um, so I, I think we have to. I think the answer is pretty simple as to why, you know, uh, Apple 
doesn't drop, you know, the, the money they made last year. They don't, they don't drop their one year salary to mm -hmm. buy a major theme park chain because it's not in their best interest from a capital investment standpoint. You know, mm -hmm. could it help some of their products? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I truly believe that it would, but you know, I just think we have to recognize that there are people out there who don't care what they're investing in. They yeah. just want to make money. Yeah. And, and those are very different players than people who are trying to make good entertainment for theme park goers. And I think that's what the majority of our listenership is. Yeah. Well, agree, disagree, but also, you know, we're just two chuckleheads, right? So I don't know. We, we, can, we cannot perceive of the the motivations of trillionaires. Um, but uh, interesting that that you said that some of those few things because it's interesting you talked you you mentioned about the the purpose uh, to make money because Bob talked about that in the interview he he said explicitly that you're if if you're in the business of what we call film entertainment or televisions or movies you're not just doing it for pro bono or charity <laughs> you'd uh, be in the business of making money doing it and you're going to follow the money which is the case is following the consumer. And so you don't really have a choice if you want to stay in the business or grow the business, except to go into the streaming direction. And I made that choice for Disney in 2015. Mm -hmm. But just kind of interesting because I was like, well, actually, as, as, just like Scott said, I, I would, <laughs> I actually think that uh, most people, I think that we know that, that work at these places would not tell you that. They would not say our whole goal is making money. They would say exactly what Scott said, which is our goal is to create good stories and a good experience for people, which then would lead to money just in the nature of value leading to value. Right. But, but, uh, it was interesting that he was like, well, actually we do this for money. And I'm like, well, that well, explains why you're purchasing a bunch of people. The thing is the kind of people that we are, the kind of people who do want to make money, um, creating good quality product, then become the product of the capital yeah. investment people. We are the or we create the organizations yeah. that are bought and sold by the capital investment people. And I don't think there's anything wrong with making money. I, I don't misunderstand me. And anybody any of my clients who've seen me put out a bid and 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 done the the whole invoice situation, I obviously want to be paid for what I do. Um but the difference is I get paid for what I do, not for what other people have done that I've purchased and am reselling. That's the difference between an entertainment professional and a capital investor. And, and there's nothing wrong with either one of them. I'm not saying there is, but I just think we have to make that identification before we can really understand why offers like the, the SeaWorld Cedar Fair um, offer are important. Um, offers, you know, uh, before we can really understand why somebody would pay $70 billion for Blizzard, um, why, mm -hmm. when Marvel only sold for $4 billion. I mean, these are, they're buying and selling. They're not paying for a product that is being created. And I think we have to recognize the difference. And sometimes it works. And sometimes not so much not looking at you, Facebook, but kind of. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, that, is, that is a very rousing discussion from Philip and I. But it means that Unfortunately, we are out of time. So once again, thank you all so very much for watching and listening. Um, please, again, I, I, will, I will say this as many times as I can. 
tell anybody in the industry that you think would would garner some some interest or some value from this uh, show, please share the word. Um, we we would love to expand our listenership so that more people hear the randomness that we have to say and they start talking to each other because that, like I said, is really the point. So on behalf of Philip Hernandez with Gantam Lighting and Haunted Attraction Network and myself, Scott Swenson, with Scott Swenson Creative Development, this is Green Tagged, Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.